but um, the, the, the Christmas decor and the Christmas songs, I love that song that we just did, um, that, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful, uh, His Name Shall Be, that's a, that's a I, I think this year is the first time uh, that I've, uh, Corinthians chapter 10, and we are going to keep marching through 1 Corinthians really up until Christmas Sunday. Um, and uh, I, I think I mentioned already, um, this is going to be the first year that my family and I are actually going to be gone on Christmas Day. We're going to go and celebrate Christmas and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with uh, Angie's family there in South Carolina. And so uh, uh, we won't be here with you on Christmas Day proper. Um, but up until then, we're going to keep preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And then uh, Pastor Matt's going to be preaching on Christmas Day. And um, I, don't think, I don't know that he'll be in 1 Corinthians. He'll probably do something... Uh, Christmassy on Christmas Day, which is Jesus's birthday, right? That's a pretty good, pretty good day to be Christmassy. First Corinthians chapter ten, and I'm going to read verses one through thirteen. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. What's the cloud? That's the that's the pillar of cloud that accompanied the fathers, the Israelites, through the wilderness. They were all under the cloud. And they all passed through the Red Sea, right? The Red Sea parted and they walked across on dry land. And, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What does that mean, baptized into Moses? They were identified as followers of Yahweh because of the Redeemer Moses. They were identified with God through Moses. And they all ate the same spiritual food. Now, we just had Thanksgiving, and you may have had what you thought was spiritual food, but this is referring to manna. They all ate the manna that God provided for them and the quail that God provided for them in the wilderness. They ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And you remember the miraculous provision of water through the rock in the desert there. Our forefathers, our spiritual forefathers experienced all of these incredible blessings from God. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. The, the original Greek language there actually describes it as they were scattered about in the wilderness. They're wandering through the wilderness, and Grandpa dies over here, and we keep wandering, and Grandma dies, and we bury her over here, and we keep going, and we're living, and Dad dies, and we bury their, their bodies literally were scattered through the desert. Now, these things, all of these things, all of what we just talked about there regarding the spiritual fathers, our spiritual fathers there in the wilderness, now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That word play is the idea of sexual immorality. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. The destroyer there, that's referring to the, the, uh, the angel that came and killed the firstborn, the, the destroying angel. 
Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, or some versions say for our warning, for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, look in verse 12, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will, with the the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, usually I pray right now, but before I pray right now, I want to jump back to verse 12, and I'm going to ask you to pray this morning. Look at verse 12. Therefore... Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I want you to think about you for a second. Do you think that you stand? Do you, do you think of yourself, I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm good. I think, I think spiritually I'm good. In fact, in this room, I think I'm probably... One of, the, one of the spiritual mature. Uh, I, th- I, think, I think I stand. I think I'm right. I think I've got it. I think I'm okay. Paul is writing to a group of people very similar to us, and he's saying through the inspiration of God, he's saying to them, listen, listen, please, please heed my advice. Please listen to me. If you think you stand, Please listen. Please take heed. Listen to my warning. Pay careful attention unless you fall. So I want you to pray, and I want you to ask God this morning. I want you to pray. I'm going to give you 30 seconds or so, and I want you to ask God to help you really do personal self-examination as we walk through this passage together this morning. You have have a few moments here to pray. Father, this is a really serious passage. And we need, to, we need to feel the seriousness of it today. We, we need to take heed. So please, by your Spirit, help us to take heed lest we fall. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to this description of the 1986 nuclear disaster at Chernobyl. Two electrical engineers were experimenting, testing the machine, and they were performing, this is according to one uh, authority, they were performing an experiment by trying to see how long a turbine would freewheel when they took the power off of it. And taking the power off of that kind of nuclear reactor is a difficult and dangerous thing to do. 
Reactors like this are very unstable in their lower ranges. And in order to get the reactor down to that kind of power where they could perform that test, they had to override six separate alarm systems. One by one, the computer would say, stop, warning, dangerous, don't go any further. And one by one, rather than stopping that test, stopping that experiment, they shut off the alarm and keep going. And you and I are familiar today with the result. Nuclear fallout that was recorded all around the world from the largest industrial accident ever to occur. There was a warning sign that was not heeded. In fact, there was a warning, and then there was a warning, and another warning, and another warning, and another warning, and another warning. Is that five or six? And another warning. There were a lot of warnings that were, that were given and that weren't heeded. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, when someone offers a warning or when a sign says warning, danger, or you remember... I mean, this is super old. This is old even for me, but the old lost in space, right? And the robot with the wobbly arms, right? Warning, warning, danger. What was the guy's name? Danger Will Robinson? Will Smith? No, he's a black rapper. But I like that even better. I like the picture of that robot. Danger Will Robinson. Danger Will Robinson. Here's the main point of this passage, I believe, this morning. The main point is this. Pay attention. Pay attention. You might be wrong. And when I say you might be wrong, you might be thinking, are you talking to other yous in this room right now, this morning? And no, I'm, I'm talking to you, you, and to me, you, this morning. Pay attention. Pay attention. You might be wrong. We're going to look at several things, several um, points here as we walk through this passage this morning. First, we're going to see, number one, spiritual privilege for all. Point number two, moral perversion for most. And then point number three, we will see faithful provision through Christ. So first of all, spiritual privilege for all. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, Paul is describing this incredible spiritual privilege that the people of Israel had. They had been delivered from their slavery to Egypt. We just spent finished like however, six, eight, ten years preaching through the book of Exodus, however long it took me, right? We just finished the book of Exodus, and so we remember the story of the people of Israel being in, in bondage to the nation of Egypt, and God delivers them, and he, his presence is with them in the pillar of cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night, and he brings them and delivers them through the waters of the Red Sea. And these people, they, they are baptized into Moses. That means they're, they're identified with Moses, and Moses is their deliverer, and so they're known then as the people of God. They've, they've, they've passed through the sea, baptized into Moses, and then as they walk through the wilderness, God provides for them miraculous food, spiritual food, the manna from heaven, the quail from heaven, and the water from the rock, and that rock is Christ describing Jesus Christ's own provision for the people of Israel as they marched through the wilderness. The Israelites had incredibly great spiritual privilege. They were so privileged. They were so blessed. The people of Israel, these, these spiritual fathers for the Corinthian believers, had incredible spiritual 
privilege. When we, when we use the phrase privilege, when we talk about privileged people or privileged kids, there's another word that we often use instead of privilege. We say spoiled, right? Spoiled, you spoiled rich kid. I remember I had a friend once who I kind of thought of as a spoiled rich kid when he told me this. I don't want to go to Hawaii again this year. There's nothing to do. I'm not kidding. That was, those were his words. His family was very wealthy, and their family went for weeks um, every fall to the island of Hawaii, or one of the islands there in Hawaii, and he was literally saying to me, I don't think I want to go. I don't think I want to go with my family this year. There's nothing to do there. And I just kind of thought, I, like, I'll, I'll just jump in and... I'll figure out something. I'll figure out something to do. The people of Israel, like spoiled rich kids who take for granted the things that they have, who grow accustomed to all the nice, blessed things that they have, the the people of Israel similarly quickly, right? They had just been slaves in Egypt, but how quickly they became very used to and familiar with these incredible blessings from God. And the Corinthian believers were similar. In fact, the reason Paul is using the the Israelites in the Old Testament, the reason he's using them as an illustration and as as an example for the Corinthians is the Corinthians were incredibly blessed people as well. They lived in a very affluent society, but they, as an early church, having been planted by these early apostles, I mean, they're saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. I mean, they had the best and most powerful Christian preachers and teachers in the history of Christianity as their primary preachers and teachers. And Paul is using the spoiled, rotten Israelites to help make a point here with the spoiled, rotten Corinthians. The Corinthians had great privilege as well. And brothers and sisters, you and I are people of unbelievable privilege spiritually. In fact, in the history of the world, it would be hard to say that anyone else has had more access and more freedom than the American church in the last, whatever, 100 years, 200 years, right? And and I would even argue in these last 25 or 50 years with the kind of resources that we have available to us now. it's, It's unbelievable. I can, with my iPad or with my phone, access more theological content than most Christians in human history, even if they had access to all the libraries available to them. I mean, we, we, have, we, have, we have the freedom. We have the ability to gather. We're not worried about anybody messing with us. We're not worried about anybody hurting us while we're gathered here. In a, in a town like Dalhart, you could find some type of Bible study for all seven days out of the week, right? You could do a ladies' Bible study this day at this church and a ladies' Bible study the next day at this home and a ladies' Bible study the next day at this home or men's Bible study or whatever, right? Like, it's just unbelievable the kind of privilege that we have. We are close. We are close to the things of God all the time. We're very close to the things of God all the time. We have Bibles in multiple rooms in our homes. Our radio stations, many of them are playing or our podcasts are playing Christian music or Christian sermons. We're interacting with other Christians regularly. You're here this morning. 
We are people of incredible spiritual privilege, but, but not everyone in Israel, though they all experience this incredible closeness to God and spiritual privilege, not everyone was a devoted follower of Yahweh. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, with most of them, that word most scares me. It scares me. The word most scares me. With most of them, God was not pleased. For they were scattered about, their bodies were scattered about in the wilderness. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And then Paul just starts saying, look, don't be idolaters as some of them were. And he starts naming off these sins, idolatry. And we know that Israel builds a calf. They make a calf and they say, this is our idol. This is an idol of our God. And, and in Corinth, obviously the city of Corinth had temple after temple after temple with all sorts of, all sorts of gods and goddesses. Brothers and sisters, we, though we don't live in the kind of culture that necessarily has some type of carved or graven image that we all bow down to, we have, we have things in our life that are, that are images, that are idols, rather, for us. When a Christian, one pastor says it this way, when a Christian worships anyone or anything besides God, that is idolatry. Worshiping the Virgin Mary... Saints, icons, or angels, that's idolatry. No matter how sincerely they are meant to honor God, such practices are false worship and are strictly forbidden in Scripture. The first commandment God gave Moses was, you shall have no other gods before me. An idol is something you look to. An idol is something that you look to for blessing or for meaning for your answers in life, for your comfort, for your identity, for your pleasure? Where, where do you look for meaning? Do you look to a bank account or to how many likes a post got or your title at work or your status in the community? Where do you look for blessing? Again, do you look to a bank account or to friends, relationships, Social media likes, again. Where, where do you look for comfort? Do you look to food or sex? I, idols, idols take our attention, our devotion, our gaze. What do you spend your days gazing at? This is, this is really poignant and really convicting when you think about your phone. We spend a lot of time, a lot of time. Do you ever look at the little usage thing? Like it tells you how much time you spent on your phone and how much time you spent doing what you spent doing on your phone. You become what you behold. And often as we're beholding that little glass screen in our hands, we're looking and we're looking for affirmation. We're looking for pleasure, right? We're looking how many posts did that, or how many likes did that, post get or, or, or we're looking for distraction or we're looking for blessing from it or whatever it may be. I'm not going to lecture us about smartphones here this morning. Idolatry was a problem in Israel. Idolatry was a problem in Corinth. Idolatry is a problem today. Immorality is named here as well. 
the sin of immorality. Israel, we know the story of Israel's sexual sin when they're worshiping the golden calf, and the Corinthians would have been constantly battling the open uh, sexual sins of their culture, the, the temple prostitution that was there. I think a lot of times you and I think that that sexual temptation and sexual sin and sexual promiscuity and the perversion of our world is at its worst today, and I'm just not sure historically that that's actually the case. I think that our, that our ability to, to you know, find out about things via social media makes it seem that way, but the sinfulness of man's heart I don't think is necessarily more uh, worse today than it has been in the past. Corinth would have been a horrible place full of immorality, the Israelites and the Corinthians both thought that they could be near, that they could be near pagan idols, and that they could be near the sexual rituals and the sexual practices of their day and be okay. And they fell into, or jumped into, often, sexual immorality. What about us? What about us? Do, do we think that we, like the Israelites and like the Corinthians, can be close to the sexual sins of our day without getting it on us, without actually falling into that temptation. Do you get close thinking you'll be okay? What do you watch? What do you scroll through? What do you read? What do you do with others of the opposite sex or the same sex? Sexual sin is a huge problem and it's not okay. They were guilty of the sin of immorality. They were guilty of testing God. This passage says, uses the phrase that they tested God. We, verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. What's that referring to? Numbers 21, verse 5, And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. And it appears that the people of Israel, they, they were, they were pushing, pushing the limits and pushing God. One person describes this idea of testing. It has the meaning of seeing how far one can go and get away with it without being punished. The Israelites were pushing the limits. They were testing God, and the Corinthians were testing God. And then you and I often can be guilty of doing the same thing, of, of testing God, to see how far we can go with sin while still getting away with it. Oh, God's a gracious God, and I can sin and then ask for forgiveness, and he'll forgive me, right? He has to forgive me. He's God. That's testing God. Grumbling. The sin of grumbling is mentioned here. I like the word grumbling because it sounds like what it means to me, right? Onomatopoeia. The word grumble, grumble, it just sounds like, well, just to say the word sounds like I'm grumbling. Number 16, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you're the ones who've caused the death of the Lord's people. And do you remember what happened? God sent that angel, that destroying angel, and he opened up the earth. This is Korah and his followers. He opened up the earth, and it swallowed up the people. The ground opened up and swallowed them, and we we grumble too, and we don't like what God has done for us or what God has given to us. We, we can grumble just like the people of Israel. The people of Israel, the people of Corinth, they were really close to the things of God. They all had opportunity to see and experience the power, the majesty, the awesomeness of God. And yet, for most of them, God was not pleased. And there were severe consequences. I just read through the sins, but these sins also, God says, yeah, they sinned in this way, and, and here's what happened. 
Notice the severity of the consequences. 23,000 fell in one day. And in the book of Numbers, it says 24,000 fell during that time. And the, those of you who, are, who are, take interest in, wait, is, is that a discrepancy in the Bible? It says here 23,000 fell in one day. And in the book of Numbers, it says 24,000 fell. Well, in this account, it says that 23,000 fell in one day. And in the book of Numbers, it describes this entire event that 24,000 fell. So obviously, if 23,000 can fell in, fall in one day and maybe a few people hung on till the next day and another thousand fell or over the next week another thousand fell. Obviously both of these numbers are, are summary numbers. 23,000 fell in one day and when the people tested God they were, they were destroyed by serpents. Remember the serpents came and bit them and they died. And we read, I already mentioned here earlier, the destroy, they were destroyed by the, by the destroying angel. And we might look again at something like that and go, man, that seems extreme. That seems really severe. That seems like God is going too far, right? That someone, he, he's not going eye for eye. He's going life for an eye. But again, remember their sin is against this God with whom they have this incredible privilege and this incredible relationship. And they're sinning against the God of the universe. And James chapter 1 says this, sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Sin is serious. And the consequences of sin are severe. Now you might be wondering, like I did when I was studying this, we read about the people of Israel, we read about the people here of Corinth, and you might be thinking, well, when God says that most of them uh, that he wasn't pleased with most of them, and that they, uh, they, were, they died there in the wilderness. They, they were overthrown in the wilderness. Were these people truly saved and just like sinful and they missed out on the ultimate blessings of God? Or were these people people who weren't actually saved and they were damned to hell forever? What's going on here? The people of Israel, God's chosen people, they've been delivered. They're out of Egypt. They're wandering, but they're, they're not to the promised land yet. And, and, and it says that God was not pleased with most of them. And then we get into Hebrews, and it talks about that faithless generation. And brothers and sisters, I actually believe that the reason there's that question mark in our minds is because that question mark is supposed to be in our minds. Because, because the, the line between I'm a sinful Christian who's on my way to heaven, I just haven't asked forgiveness, and I'm walking in disobedience, like I'm, I'm, like I'm around the things of God, but I'm not actually a believer. I think God, I, I think God doesn't want us to feel like, uh, I'm actually okay. I think it's fuzzy on purpose. I think it's fuzzy on purpose because, because it isn't even easy for us to know, now is that just a Christian who's backslidden a little bit or is that someone who's been in church their whole life but they've never come to put their true faith and trust in Christ and become a true follower of him? I think it's fuzzy on purpose. I think it's fuzzy throughout the Bible on purpose. You might not like this list of sins and the demand to take heed 
to take heed of yourself, to examine yourself. But if you want to flip over, just flip over, because I want you to see that it's in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And you might think, well, my eyes aren't supposed to be on me. My eyes are supposed to be on Christ. It's true that your eyes are to be on Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Paul, writing a second letter to this same group of people, says this, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He's not saying, hey, take some inventory. You're not really walking with the Lord the way that you should. He's saying, examine to see whether or not you're really a follower of Jesus Christ. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves and test yourselves. Because now look over at Matthew chapter 7, a passage that maybe it's not the right way to think about it, but I think of this as the scariest passage in the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Remember, remember in 1 Corinthians 10, a moment ago, we said that with most of them, God was not pleased? Here's another one of those words that scares me. Verse 22, on that day, on the day of judgment, that's what that day is referring to, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness. There are going to be many people on the day of judgment who will say things like, look, we were at church and we did the church stuff and we were around you and we had proximity to you and we were in the, pil- we were in the cloud. We saw the cloud. We walked through the wilderness and we, we, uh, we drank the water and we did, the, we did the, the manna thing and we've been near you. We kind of identified with you. And Jesus will say, depart from me. This passage 2 Corinthians 13, Matthew chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which I'm going to end with here in just a moment, all are calling us to examine ourselves. So brother, sister, friend, let me ask you this. Your salvation depends... I'm not asking a question right now. I'm going to make a comment. Your salvation is not based on anything you do. You do not earn your way to heaven. There's nothing you do to become a Christian. Christ has done that. It is your faith and trust in his work that saves you. To turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is how you become a child of God. And when God does that, when you when you are converted, when you're born again, when you truly put your faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, you are changed. The immorality is a thing of the past. The idolatry is a thing of the past. The testing God is a thing of the past. The grumbling is a thing of the past. You may struggle. You may stumble from time to time, but there is not a life that's lived in idolatry and immorality and grumbling and testing God. The Israelites were near, but many of them didn't make it to the promised land. The Pharisees 
The Pharisees, we haven't mentioned the Pharisees. The Pharisees were people who were close to the things of God. And they were in the temple and they were studying and busying themselves about it. And they had added law and added law and added law. If anyone should have known Christ, it was the Pharisees. They were close to the things of God. They didn't test themselves to see whether they were really of the faith. The Corinthians the Corinthians thought they, st- they stood. The Israelites thought they stood. The Pharisees thought they stood. The Corinthians thought they stood. You and I think that we stand. We think we're right. We think we've got it right. We read this and we go, those knuckleheads. But my generation, I've got it right. I've got it figured out. And brothers and sisters, I think God, through the pen of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, wants Liberty Baptist Church this morning, wants you this morning to stop for a moment and take heed. Because you do think you stand. I read this passage this, after, uh, this, this week, and I was talking with it through a couple of guys, and, and I said, I think I stand. I, I think, I think I've got it right. And I think I'm the most balanced guy out there. Well, this Christian leader, he's kind of wrong there. And this Christian leader, he's kind of wrong there. And that Christian leader, he's kind of wrong there. And those Christians think this. But I, I think I stand. And it was like I felt the, the finger of the Spirit of God on my chest and in my heart saying, Listen, you think you stand? Take heed. Listen, take heed lest you fall. Charles Ryrie, regarding warnings in Scripture, says this, Every warning God gives comes from an omniscient being. So we should be extremely sensitive to God's warnings. He does not warn us on the basis of only guessing what might happen. He knows. 2 Peter 3, 17, You, therefore, beloved Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away, carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Your own stability. What is stability? Stability is my ability to to stand stably. And that's the illustration that Paul is using in verse 12 when he says, Take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. Some of us have been in positions before, right, where you thought the ladder was locked, right, or you thought you had good footing, or you didn't think, you didn't see the ice that was there on the steps as you were getting ready to walk up. You, you thought you stood, and you didn't take enough heed, and you fell. Well, that's funny and comical, or very serious when hip bones are broken. This is in reference to our eternal security. Brothers and sisters, it is not enough to be around the things of God. It's not enough to be around the things of God. It's not enough to be involved with the things of God. True, true conversion happens when you put your faith in Christ, and when you put your faith in Christ, He changes you. So there have been, there have been people who are in the church and around the things of God for years and years and years, and then suddenly they just leave and they're gone. And you wonder, what, what, 
what happened? What, what happened there? Well, I think often it's just that they never, First John says, they went out from us because they never were of us. There are others, there, there are times, I've had these kinds of conversations with people before where they're walking in open, unrepentant sin, and I've said, friend, your, your life is contrary to the word of God. Take heed, take heed lest you fall. Now, this puts, a lot of, this puts a lot of pressure on us, right? Now, and there are some, it, it's, it's the collateral damage that you can hardly help in a sermon like this. There are, some, there are some in here who are incredibly introspective and incredibly sensitive. And at this moment in the sermon, you're going, dear God, am I? Am I? Am, like, I believe and, and I think I see fruit, but I don't know if I see enough fruit. And like I sinned yesterday, and, and, and I, I am not trying to create fear or discomfort in the heart of a believer. But what this passage and other passages in Scripture are trying to do is to wake up those who are in close proximity to God but aren't truly followers of Christ. And ultimately, the ultimate ground for our security actually doesn't come from looking inward. Verse 13, point number three, faithful provision through Christ. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. What temptations is he, ta- is he talking about there? I think sometimes we take this verse, and it's a great verse, and it's one of the few verses in the Bible that you kind of can get away with taking it out of context and still understand exactly what it's meant to mean. But he's saying here the temptation to idolatry and immorality, the temptation to testing God and to grumbling, those temptations are common. The Israelites experienced them. The Corinthians experienced them. You and I experienced. There's no temptation that you're experiencing that's not common to Corinthian believers and to the Israelite believers. There's no temptation that's taking you. But such as this common demand for thousands of years, we've struggled with the same things. Now, every now and then, as we interact with people, right? Someone will say, I'm really struggling with this. And that might be a new version, like, like, oh, I've never heard of anybody struggling with that before. But that's just another, that's that's another version of this sin. There's no temptation that's taking you that's not common to man. You're not facing something new. You're not facing something that Corinthians didn't face. You're not facing something that the Israelites didn't face. That next sentence, those next three words, I talk about scary words in the Bible, right? Most, many. These next three words are rock-solid, encouraging, stabilizing words. God is faithful. God is faithful. Are you faithful? Nope, you're not. But God, God is faithful. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but will with the temptation but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it temptation is common idolatry immorality testing grumbling these are common israelites struggled with them corinthians struggled with them texans struggle with them but god's faithfulness god's faithfulness is the answer so to whom do you look when you're struggling with a temptation. To whom do you look when you're struggling with the temptation? 
Someone who's not a follower of God will look to themselves or look to others. But a follower of Christ will look to the one who saved them in the first place. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. What does that mean? Well, I received Christ Jesus through repentance and faith. So do you know how I live today? Through repentance and faith. That's how I live today. And then tomorrow, how do I live my Christian life? Through repentance and faith. And then the next day, how do I live my Through repentance and faith. Through faith, through looking at the one who is faithful. The answer to your sin struggle does not lie within yourself. You should know you well enough by now to know that you don't have the strength to endure. You don't have the faithfulness to choose the right thing. In fact, you're often scared and surprised by the strength of the wickedness in you. I don't know that we ever share the full extent of our badness with anyone. But I think, I think, I think I can say all of us who are honest with ourselves on occasion think thoughts like, whoa, that's bad. I didn't know that kind of thinking was in me. So, so your faithfulness, your goodness isn't going to rescue you, isn't going to save you. God is faithful. He does say, look to me in repentance and faith, and I will help you bear fruit. He'll provide the way of escape so that you can endure. As you face the temptations of idolatry and immorality and, and uh, testing and grumbling, as you, as you face those temptations that are, that are common to man, are you constantly in them and wallowing in them and giving yourselves over to them but thinking, well, I go to church, I've got a Bible, and I'm around Christian stuff, so I'm probably going to be okay. No, take heed, take heed, lest you fall. But God is faithful. And, and are, are you someone, though, whose faith is in Christ, and now you see, yeah, there are occasions when I, where I fall, but there are occasions where the Holy Spirit of God empowers me, and I am able to endure. I am able to, what was the other word? Um, Escape, I escape the temptation, and I endure the temptation. Do you know why? It's not because you're strong. It's because God is faithful. So yes, there's a warning, but there is also an incredible word of encouragement here, that there is for faithful provision for us in Christ. In all of these verses, though, I want the weight, my, my, my inclination, my temptation often when I'm preaching a sermon that's intended to be heavy like this is to try to give us a release valve where we don't have to feel the weight of it. I think, I think God wants us this morning to feel the weight of it. Brother and sister, listen. Do you think you stand? Take heed. Because I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to fall. The apostle Paul didn't want them to fall. God doesn't want you to fall. Take heed. F.F. Bruce says this. The warning of this passage was a real warning against a real danger, which is still, still present. Take heed and test yourself. And what we're getting ready to do with the Lord's Supper is designed by God to do it. Flip over probably just one page to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. And I'll invite Vicki to come and the, the men to come and Will to come. He's going to walk you through the Lord's Supper. But let me just make one comment here as we transition to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Let a person, what's the next word? Examine himself. 
then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. One of the purposes of the Lord's table is for us to stop and think, God, is there, am I rightly related to you through Christ? And is there sin in my life that's hindering my relationship with you or hindering my, my relationship with others? I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Vicki's going to begin playing and Will and the men will come to prepare for the Lord's Supper.